Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy teaches on how you can build the right foundations. Read through Titus chapter 1 as we head into week 1 of our brand new series, We Are the Church. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome Kenosha City Church. Yes, I want to remind us, we are not a club. We are the church. Uh, this is a place where it's, it's not just a social club, a place where we got it all together. This is not a place for perfect people because we are not a perfect people. We're a people made new by Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a place where self-righteousness will not be platformed because, listen, everybody's welcome. But I want you to know it's not about our righteousness. It's about Christ's righteousness and what he changes in and through you when you place your faith in him alone. This is a place that because of the Holy Spirit, being indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you have supernatural power living in you to live a kingdom ethic. Who are we? We are the church, amen? And our mission is to lead others to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Our vision is this, is that you personally, that's yes, you, not just the pastor, not just a team lead, but you personally connect people to the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when people meet Jesus, people are made new. Amen, church? 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You see, oftentimes, uh, we as individuals can forget who we are. We're living in a culture today where people are having an identity crisis. They're trying to find out who they are, and it's an ever-changing idea of who they are. But if you don't know whose you are, you'll be in this race for life of trying to figure out the meaning of life, looking deep within. But it's not about looking deep within. It's looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, the God who made you, the God who said you're not an accident and placed you on this planet on purpose. And when you realize that together as God's church, that we have a purpose, that we have a mission, that we are not to make up, but that we've been received, that's been given to us as stewards from Jesus Christ himself. But we can forget that, can't we? We can begin to hear things over our our minds and we can live not in a spirit of boldness, but of fear and timidity. You know, I've been, I, I remember when I was uh, called into ministry, I thought I was going to be a meteorologist, and, and I just used the gab for God instead of gab for the weather, right? Uh, but, uh, and, you know, I've been preaching now for uh, well over 16 years, and, uh, I, and I never got to a point where I'm like, I don't think I'm cut out for this, except there was one season. Uh, there was a, a group of people that began to just speak things over me, and speak things over me in such a way to where I began to doubt the very calling which God put into my life. Uh, Allison could attest to this. It'd get to Saturday night and I would just have no confidence in the Lord. I'd say, Allison, I don't think I'm ready. I think what I'm about to give is just going to fall to the ground. Uh, you got to talk me off a ledge. This went on for about a year. Within uh, this period, and by the way, it wasn't good critique. It was just 
critical and mean what was being said, but I, I believed the press of it. And so it was during this time I got a phone call uh, from an organization. The presidents were all on the phone, their vice presidents. They said, hey, Andy, oh, we want to hire you. We want to hire you. We want you to, to speak for our organization in churches all across the country. And we're not talking about small churches. We're talking about churches of thousands of people. And I thought, wow, that sounds amazing. Let me pray about it, and, 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 and I'll call you back. But when I prayed, it was a pretty quick answer. God had called me to this church here in Kenosha to preach. But it was in that moment I had an aha moment. Uh, For the first time in well over a year, I stopped hearing the words of the critics. And I heard the word of the Lord. And I remembered the call that he had over my life. And I realized if these presidents of this organization wanted me to preach in churches all across the country, I guess I'm not that bad, right? (laughs) Isn't it interesting how easy it is for the voices in our head or the voices spoken over you or situations in life where we can forget who we are and what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be as a church. It's so easy for us to find ourselves in this moment. But listen, we cannot let those moments become our seasons because life is too short and the stakes are too high to know what we know about the gospel and yet do nothing. The stakes are too high. And that's why I want us to remember who we are as a church. The church isn't just some another 501c3. It's not just some other organization, right? It's not just some kind of corporation. I was drinking water out of a water bottle the other day. And the water bottle was from my favorite grocery store in Iowa. Hopefully we'll get one here in Kenosha. I know they went in Green Bay now. It's called Hy-Vee. And on the water bottle it said, you drinking this water is helping us build wells in Africa. I thought, wow, a grocery store is building wells in Africa. I thought, don't don't churches do that? Yes, some churches do do that. And it reminded me of something. Grocery stores can build wells. Grocery stores can do good. Grocery stores and department stores and 501c3s and anybody else under the sun can do a bunch of good things. But the church has one thing we're supposed to do and we can't forget it. And that is to make much of Jesus and preach Jesus until he comes back. Amen? And so this is our main idea this morning, and we're going to launch this mini-series. We're going to add to this series uh, over the years. Uh, Who are we? We are the church. We are the church. The church is a beacon of hope to the world. The church is the greatest hope for the world because it contains the gospel of Jesus Christ to give out to the world. The church is the beacon of hope to the world. The problem is, The church can be so easily defined by what a person or group of people think it is. In fact, if you were to do a survey of, let's just say, Bible-believing Christians, a survey of 100 people, what would happen is you would get 90 different answers of what the church is. 90 different answers. Why? Because we have fallen into the understanding that the church is what we make of it. But it's not. The church is the bride of Christ, He made it, he defines it, and and we follow, amen? So definitions matter. We live in a world where definitions uh, are becoming an optional thing, or you you provide the definition. Definitions matter. So let's define the church. This definition uh, comes to the variety of uh, synthesis of, uh, of scriptures, but I'll give you a simple definition today of the church. The church is the community of all true believers 
for all time, expressed visually by the local church with the mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ while giving him maximum honor and praise through the lives. Right? We come here, we don't give our leftovers, we give our overflow. We come here and we realize there are people that, that are feeling lost, uh, that they want to connect with God, or maybe they're brought here and they don't know why they're here. We realize that this is a moment where Jesus is going to get maximum glory. This is going to be a moment where, where, where strongholds are broken. This is going to be a moment where people meet Jesus. Did you know in the last few weeks, in each service, people have said yes to Jesus? Some of you have invited. Some people have, have clicked on Google and they found us. Some people just wandered in because the church was on Pershing in 60th. But what I'm telling you is this. Have a great expectation what God can do on Sunday morning. Amen? The church, it comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means the assembling or gathering together. So on a micro level, the word used for church requires us to gather together. Requires us to be together. This makes the church visible. And what we call a local church, Kenosha City Church, is a local visible church. On a macro level, the word church speaks of every believer that's ever lived. Or the invisible church. Sometimes people speak of the big C church. That's, that's, uh, that's all the local churches uh, together. And there's been a lot of confusion in the blurring of line between the local church and the big C universal church. Uh, many people today, they're like, I just, I love Jesus. I just don't want to get involved with the church, right? Or people have this pie in the sky idea that all churches are to be one. No, they're not. Why? Because some churches aren't preaching the truth. Some churches have abandoned the truth and want to be more like the world. We don't want to unite with that, okay? And yet, though, but sometimes people, they, they go for this whole big church idea and often what happens is they do it at the expense of their involvement and love of their local church you cannot have a healthy big c church if you're not healthy in your local church hebrews 10 23 through 25 says this let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. We are told in scripture, do not neglect gathering together. The church, it's the gathering of people. Uh, and this is the visible, visible expression of it, the local church here at Kenosha City Church. The church has a mission. Acts 1.8, we see this mission that Jesus gave uh, his followers before uh, going to heaven. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. The church has a mission that we don't give it the mission. Uh, we receive the mission. And that is to reach people in our locale, in our region, and around the world. That's, that's why uh, we're so passionate about you connecting with people here in your area, in your community, that they know Christ. It's why we're so passionate uh, about international ministries. It's why we have partners on the ground right now, founding churches, founding organizations so that people know Christ all around the world. It's to fulfill the mandate of Jesus Christ. The church is counter to the culture, though. As we have a, a mission, you need to understand this. The church is not going to pr 
properly fit in to the culture. We are going to seem odd. Uh, there, there is this idea that, that I think has hit the church over the last 30 to 40 years that we need to become palatable, right? You know, we need to become something that's relevant, right? You've heard that before, am I right? And listen, I'm not saying be weird. Some churches are like, we don't want to be relevant, so we're going to get weird. Like, what do you mean by that? Uh, why are you dressed uh, in a five-piece suit? But, you know, you can wear that if you want, but like, that, that's not, because we want to look different. Okay, okay, no, no. Well, why is your Bible absolutely huge? Why do you have your family Bible? We want to look different. Okay, no, you don't have to be weird to be different. That's not what I'm saying, all right? But what I'm saying is, our heart shouldn't be that the world just absolutely falls in love, as, love with us in first sight. You know what the world's going to do when they see the church? They're going to be like this. Well, that's a little different, right? That's a little strange. Hmm. And then as you engage with that person, guess what happens? They begin to understand, right? And so the church is counter to the culture. Let's take a look at this. We're going to be in Titus, as Will had mentioned. Uh, Titus is what's called a pastoral epistle. Uh, this is Paul. This is, by the way, after 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. If you get to finally in Hebrews, you've gone too far. Uh, but Titus is a letter where Paul is writing to his apprentice and helping him set up a church, uh, setting up the right foundations. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If we are the church, we need to have the right foundations. And so the church must be counter to the culture if we're going to have the right foundations. If the church is going to be a bright, shining beacon of hope for this world, uh, it must be counter to the culture. Let's take a look at this. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth that leads to godliness, and the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began... In his own time, he's revealed his word in the preaching of which I was entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ our, Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left and undone, and as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. So Paul is writing his apprentice Titus. Uh, Paul's, uh, he's writing this letter in between two imprisonments Paul had. Paul was in prison once. He was released. He wrote, uh, he wrote letters to churches during that time, of which we get Titus. And then he was imprisoned a second time, and that's when Paul was beheaded by Nero. So it's in between those two imprisonments. Titus was starting a church on the Isle of Crete. In fact, Paul had spent some time in Crete. He had to leave, and he wanted to make sure that the right foundations were being met with this uh, vulnerable church. Uh, to start a church plant, uh, is, or to start a church, is a New, a New Testament era, often meant committing an act of treason, all right? When people th think of starting something new, or whether it be a new ministry, or something new in an area, it's exciting, uh, maybe from an American context, but you've got to understand in the New Testament context, when people were beginning a church, it often meant they were going to be ostracized, a good chance it meant they could get killed. And so Titus is doing a, a good and yet very dangerous work. Uh, and again, the reason why they did this is because they wanted to see the gospel go out. Literally, they wanted to plant churches in unreached areas. And again, church planting continues. There are unreached areas all across uh, this world. And, and planting continues uh, even in this country today. Uh, and there are a good number of plants that are doing gospel work. Unfortunately, though, when we think of church planting, we think of what I would consider uh, the church planting uh, uh, complex. 
Uh, sometimes churches are being pumped out like McDonald's hamburgers, and people are building their brand, uh, or, or people are trying to prove a point uh, instead of actually hit unreached areas. And what we've seen, according to a number of the studies, is that when a church plant comes into a town, they often uh, take other people from other churches instead of reaching uh, new people. And, and we've seen this. Uh, in the United States alone right now, even though we've had a, a number of new church plants, uh, uh, the number, uh, and, and number of them grow, uh, the number of Christians in the United States continues to shrink. It continues to shrink. Uh, that, so the, so the, the, the share of Christians shrinks. Well, sometimes we have the idea of, oh, our churches are growing, our churches are growing. Here's what needs to happen. We have 330,000 existing churches today in, in the country. 330,000 of them. Uh, if, if just 10% of those churches can become gospel advancing again, it doesn't matter what size they are, if they become gospel advancing again, we'd have revival. We'd have revival, we would flip this thing and turn it all the way around. And so again, it should not, we should not get excited about church transfer growth. Uh, we should be excited about new conversion growth. And I do realize that people do, uh, they move into new communities or there's different uh, reasons and things like that. I understand that, but we really need to geek out on people coming to Christ. Because what we've seen in the latest studies alone is not only is Christendom shrinking in the United States, but it is rapidly shrinking with the late millennials and Gen Z. I believe, if, listen, Pastor Brandon is ministering to Gen Z. He has a hope. We have a hope. We believe that God can do amazing things through Gen Z. But I want you to tell you, if things were to stay as they are now, uh, it looks bleak. In fact, the Pew Research is saying the United States is on its way rapidly to becoming Europe. Which means this, how do we turn this around? We just be the church and be the mission, Right? It means that we're actually, God, you know what? We are going to, here I am. I want you to use me. I want to be counter to the culture. I, I, I want to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever I am at. The gospel must break new ground. And that's exactly why Paul left uh, Titus in Crete to reach a whole new people group. Titus 1, 1 again. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life that God who cannot lie promised before time began. It's interesting here. Notice how Paul introduces himself. He says, Paul, a servant of God. Paul was, he was pretty amazing, right? He wrote most of the New Testament. He was a, before he came to Christ, he was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. People knew who he was. He could be like, hi, my name's Paul. Uh, I used to be Saul. I was somebody uh, in, in Judaism. And then, you know, I threw it all away for Jesus. But look at me and Jesus now, right? You know how many churches I've helped plant? Uh, you know how many uh, people I have poured into? I'm Paul, Titus, all right? Listen up. That's not what he said. He said, Paul, a servant. That word servant in the original is doulos. It's what we get the word slave. He's not just a servant. He is, I am a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. There was an Instagram channel launched a few years ago with, of celebrity preachers it's about preachers and their sneakers. And uh, it's all these celebrity pastors and they take pictures of them and, and then they price out their whole wardrobe. They're like, shoes, 
$8,000. Jeans, $4,000. Not these, by the way. These shoes are like 30 bucks. All right, so anyway, but, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, sure, you know, $5,000, right? And so it's like, uh, they, they price it all out, and, they're, and they thought like, okay, these pastors, they, they did it, and I, I, you shouldn't launch things to shame people, but I think they did it to shame, like, why are these influential celebrity pastors that are speaking to you and I, why are they dressing like kings, all right? And so they thought like these pastors were like, oh, no, no, get all defensive. But instead, they started writing this, this Instagram page, and they said, hey, can I be on your Instagram site? Can I be on your Instagram page? Pastors were literally asking to show off their shoes and their shirts. And it got me thinking, would Paul be on preacher sneakers? No, he be, all right, sandals, uh, five bucks. My robe, negative 10, because no one's gonna wanna buy them. I'm gonna have to pay you, right? Like, Paul says, I, don't look at me. Paul, a servant, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse four, to Titus, my true son in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Savior, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. Paul was close to Titus. Uh, Titus traveled extensively with Paul, what we know through the scriptural record. And we know this even right here, calling him his dear son. Paul was in the ministry of raising up spiritual sons and daughters. Did you know that you're supposed to pour your life into other people? You know, today it's so looked down upon. Who are you to talk to me? Like we live in such a hyper-individualistic, you better not say the wrong thing, I'll cancel you culture. And when I say as Christians, take the risk and pour into people. You don't know where they're gonna end up, I can tell you that. You don't know where they, what, what they might end up being even in a decade or two decades. But listen, you aren't to predict the future. You're to be faithful in the now. Paul looked at Titus as his son, my dear son. And his purpose in writing was to ensure that he set the right foundations as he plants the church. Crete was an immoral uh, city, an immoral island. It was a pirate hangout. So think church planting meets Captain Jack Sparrow, right? Which means there was a lot of drinking, probably a lot of rum, and a lot of drunkenness. It was New Orleans and Vegas put together where people would be drunk in the midday sun. And as a result, they had a tendency, the people in the streets, to tell wild stories, and none of it was true. In fact, a famous poet said, the Cretans are liars. They were very self-focused. They lived in the now. Sounds like today's secular society, doesn't it? Maybe minus the pirates. Because it was a formative time for this church, the church was a very, very vulnerable spot to bad thinking, to bad doctrine, to bad teaching. And these people were even creeping into the church. When we are vulnerable, what's most at risk is the gospel, is our worship, is our mission, it's the very way that we live. Those are all at risk. Now, our first reaction, I've seen it. <laughs> I felt it. When we look at culture, we're scrolling. 
And we're not scrolling to get encouraged. Oh, look what they're eating for dinner. No, it's not that at all. We're doom scrolling, right? I can't believe what's happening in the world today, right? I can't believe it. I, and this is what we end up doing as Christians. Instead of like, you know what? Uh, we are the church. We have the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead living in us. Uh, we live in a world that is, uh, that is falling apart, but we live in a, with the Holy Spirit who's given us a living hope uh, with a message that can transform all people, right? That's the way that we should be thinking. But instead we're like this, Lord Jesus, come. Will you please come? I don't like this world anymore. I don't like those people. Please. We aren't to hunker down until Jesus comes back. We're to walk in this world, not in fear, but in the boldness of Jesus Christ, knowing that Jesus is mighty to save. Amen? Jesus said that we are to be in this world, but not of this world. So church, it's not our job to fit into culture, but to rather live counterculture. By offering the purpose for life through the gospel and preparing not to die at the end of this life, but preparing to live eternal life forever. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for possession that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Too often we want to fit into culture. We see this with churches in the pursuit of, of loving people. Uh, listen, we should love people. We should want to pursue people. But sometimes in our pursuit of loving people, we end up compromising God in the process, right? We, we want to point people to God, but sometimes we get so immersed with the people that we forget to point the people to the Lord God Almighty, It's easy to nod our heads when we say that we need to be counter to the culture. But I want to warn us with something this morning. The culture has affected you more than you ever know. You might not agree with certain terms or certain understandings, but it can even be the methods of the world that have already permeated your heart and actions. We need to have a real heart-to-heart -heart with ourselves and the Lord and saying, God, how have I already become a product of this culture instead of a demonstration of your spirit? We are to gather together as a church and have a heart of expectation of what God can do. We need to have a heart of expectation that God, that we have a city that needs to know Jesus. We have a heart of expectation that when together as Kenosha City Church, that we are the church that when we are working together with a gospel mission, when we have all hands on deck, knowing that there's, that even in the most smallest behind the scenes tasks, it makes this thing called the expression of the church happen each and every morning. We have between 70 and 80 volunteers on Sunday and throughout the week that make this dream happen. And I know there's a place for you that you're, if you haven't found yourself but I want to tell you a little story you see if if the church is going to move forward it means that we have all hands on deck but what ends up happening is this I'm not talking about just in this church I'm talking about in everywhere in culture right now is typically people want to serve where they want to serve all right God I'll, 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 I'll talk about you but on my timing all right God I'll, I'll serve you but only the way that I'm passionate about right a couple weeks ago we had a missions trip meeting and um, uh, we have a number of, of mission trip opportunities 
uh, at the end of this year with Ecuador uh, in November, all right? Ecuador's like, woo, we're looking for about three or four people, right? But also uh, in 2024, a number of opportunities. We're getting you on the ground to move the gospel forward with our partners. It won't move forward uh, in this way if, if Kenosha City Church doesn't partner with these partners this way. It's just so cool that we're able to do this. But I, we had a room full of people, and I was talking to them. I was like, hey, uh, where would you like to go? We had this whole presentation. I was like, can I just, can I just ask each person here, where, where would you like to go? And I pointed to Leslie. Some of you know who Leslie is. Leslie hands out donuts for service out there. And I said, Leslie, where, where, where would you like to go? She was there in, her, in the room there with her uh, husband. And she says, well, I don't know. I was like, oh, okay. He goes, I mean, the question should be, where do you want me to go? Where am I needed? And I'll go. And my jaw just, I told her I was going to tell the story today. My jaw just about dropped to the floor. I'm like, what? But then it got me thinking. Oh, that's the attitude I want to see caught. That's the attitude I want to see taught. God, where am I needed? God, where, 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 it's not where I want to go. Like, where's their need, right? Where's their need? Hey, you know I know why we haven't seen Pastor Will in here for four weeks? It's because he needs more people in City Kids because City Kids keeps growing, all right? So I'm like, well, you know, I just don't. Go help him out, all right? Where is the need? I love it. How do we do this? It's through daily surrender. Surrendering ourselves to the will of God not to be conformed to the world by being transformed with the image of Christ. The church is a beacon of hope to the world. It means that we give ourselves to the hope and message of the world. The church is counter to the culture. Secondly, this morning, the church must have leadership that upholds biblical truth. If we're going to be counter to the culture, uh, we, we need to uphold truth, right? We need to uphold truth. It's not just that truth is under attack today, but truth isn't even considered. Am I right? A truth is only considered if, uh, you know, if it, it matches with whatever how culture says it is today. Or if it fits some kind of preferred narrative, right? Truth has become this moldable, adaptable thing like it's an opinion. Listen, it's, the truth is not an opinion. Truth is truth. God's word is truth. That's why the church, we cannot be guided by every whim by the word of God and be led by the leaders of the church to shepherd the church into God's truth and living. The truth needs to be upheld and protected. And that's why Paul is telling Titus, the very first thing I want you to do, Titus, in a world, in an island that's pirate crazy right now, all right? I want you to install elders in every city that has a church. In fact, that's what we see Paul do all throughout the New Testament. Install elders, install elders, install elders. When growing up, my dad would tell me not to do certain things, right? He'd say, Andy, I want you to, I want you to look both ways before you go across the street. I'm like, okay, dad, why? Right? Kids always ask why. Why? And, and, and uh, you know, he said, okay, Andy, I don't want you ever to drop a, a knife into the toaster. All right, why? Right? You know, Andy, I, I want you to make sure that, you know, you don't ever talk to strangers. Why? 
And my dad would always answer this. It's probably because he was annoyed of me asking him questions. He would never give me like a real logical answer. He would just say this, because bad things will happen. Paul is telling Titus, if you do not do this first, if you do not install elders, bad things will happen. Titus 1, 5 through 9. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone as I direct you to appoint elders in every town. Churches are to be led by elders. Elder, it comes from the Greek word presbyteros. It's where we get Presbyterian. It's a used word in the Greek world for an older man, but the usage by the time it came into the New Testament, uh, it was used simply as a generic term uh, for a man leading in the church. We see many passages of the function of elders, but I will read you this one out of Acts 20, verse 28. Speaking to the elders, it says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. Elders, notice, are also called overseers or shepherds, keeping watch over the church called the flock. The elders are also sheep, uh, as they are sheep to the great shepherd, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Elders are called shepherds to watch over the flock of the people of God, which the Bible calls sheep. Uh, Jesus coined this term. He calls us sheep, right? You know, it's such, a, it's such an encouraging term. Like, Jesus has a nickname for you. What is it? Sheep. <laughs> sheep aren't the smartest, are they? Which means we're not the smartest. We like to think we are. But we're not. And that's why we need the wisdom of the Lord. We're prone to wander. We're prone to do really dumb stuff. <clears throat> and we're prone to do really dumb stuff together. In 2015, for instance, I love this story. In 2015, uh, there was a newspaper article that talked about these Turkish shepherds who were absolutely stunned at what happened to their flock. Uh, they had come into the, their, their, their porch to have uh, breakfast that morning. And as they gazed over the hill, they were horrified as they watched one by one, 1,500 of their sheep in a herd jump off a cliff. One after another. By the time they ran out there, 450 sheep were dead. The only reason why the others survived is by the time that 450 dead sheep corpses had risen up, enough, there was enough cushion for the other sheep to survive as they jumped off. You see, here's the deal. Is it's not that we just do dumb things alone. We often do dumb things together. And in our group think, we think we're being biblical. That's why we need to be of the Bible. That's why we need to be of the Holy Spirit that confir is confirmed by the Bible. And it's the elders' greatest heartbreak is when people get off mission and they get hurt. Sometimes they do it alone. Often they do it together. The elders are entrusted to a, and they are held to a higher judgment by the Lord to care for you. Listen to their instruction. If our instruction, by the way, mine or, or any of the elders, strays from the gospel, uh, then, then you call us out. But we need to listen to the elders' instruction. Elders are to be stewards 
of, the bio, of biblical doctrine, of the mission and vision of the church. Who can be an elder? Is it anyone? Is it the most popular person in church? Let's have an election. Oh, he's been here for 40 years. Make him an elder. Oh, man, he has the loudest voice. He can be an elder. Oh, you know, I'm kind of afraid of him. Don't want to say, you just make him an elder, right? Maybe some of you have grown up in churches like that. A bossy person becomes the elder. Listen, that's not how elders are chosen. They're first and foremost chosen by the Lord God as he calls people and as they're confirmed. When our board begins to vet elders, we don't first look how popular someone is or how they look or even what talents they have or if they're a CEO or an upper or middle management, but rather we look to what the Bible says we need to look to, and that is biblical qualifications. Biblical qualifications of the elders. And this is what uh, Paul lays out, not only in 1 Timothy, but what he lays out for Titus. Titus chapter 1, verse 6. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he'll be able to both encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. This list is a very, very tall order. It's one that not only is required for anybody aspiring to be an elder, it's a list that every single, every single follower of Christ should aspire to in principle. So let's break them down. Verse 6, we see that the elder must be blameless. Some of your translations may say above reproach. What does it mean to be blameless or above reproach? Now, obviously, elders, including myself, we're human beings. Uh, we sin, yeah, right? And we need to ask Jesus Christ for forgiveness, right? Right, honey? I sin, right? Okay, yeah, she's smiling. So, to be blameless, though, doesn't mean that you're perfect, it means that there should not be any legitimate accusation that could be brought against an elder that would bring disrespect towards the gospel. Notice I say legitimate. We live in a world today increasingly that any single pastor, if they're going to preach the gospel, will be slandered and will be accused. Mark my words on that. So it needs to be legitimate. We live in a culture where people are willing to take anyone out just because they disagree with them or don't like them. The disciples, especially Paul himself, were accused numerous times because of the gospel and because he stood up for the gospel. He was falsely accused. But the point is, it has to be legitimate. So being above reproach also is not some gotcha, uh, gotcha statement, not some catch-all. I was once told years ago, Andy, you need to wear a tie today. Now, I was fine with that, but I kind of want to know why. Why, right? Why? Why do I need to wear a tie? Because bad things will happen. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, why, why, why do I need to wear a tie today? And they said, because you need to be above reproach. I thought, oh. You know, it's one of those things that sounds really scriptural and really right, but it like, I don't know what it means. And that's what people have done with this statement, above reproach. They've made it a catch-all. And if something's a catch-all, it means nothing. So what's it actually mean? To be above reproach or to, uh, to be blameless is actually an umbrella term. It's an umbrella term uh, for the requirements that we are going to go through next. 
So it's an umbrella term. You want to be above reproach? This is what you need to be. Verse 6, a husband of one wife. The Greek literally means a one-woman man. An elder must be a man. The Greek is interchangeable in a number of areas. Uh, the Greek could be interchangeable where it, a good translation could say men or women. This one, it's exclusive for man. The, Greek, uh, the elder must be a man who is a one-woman man, meaning if he is married, he's married to only one woman. He can't be a polygamist. And he needs to be faithful to her. Husband of one wife. Moves on to... To be blameless, you need to have a faithful household. The home is the epicenter of of Christian character, right? Uh, The home is where if you uh, had a live feed right now of your fight you had last week, you'd just be blushing, right? We know the home, it gets raw, right? We know it's not perfect, but it needs to be a place to where also it really isn't a discontent between who you are now and who you are there. A faithful household. Children must be walking with the Lord. This doesn't apply to adult children that are no longer under the care of parents. But children who are in the home, uh, they need to, at the very least, uh, the parents need to be leading them to be followers, faithful followers of Jesus Christ. The spouse needs to be walking with the Lord and needs to be faithful in the church. The spouse should not be a busybody or causing divisions in the church. There are so many uh, elders and even pastors today uh, that their ministries have been absolutely ruined because of that. They're not to be arrogant. Another term for this is be self-willed. Uh, that is not looking for their own interest, which often manifests in pride or self-righteousness. They're not to be hot-tempered. Uh, that means that they're not to be quick-tempered. Uh, and you know who this person is. This is the person that you really, really just want to tiptoe because you know they're going to be difficult to deal with. They're going to get mad. Uh, they're they're, they're going to push back really hard. You're on pins and needles with this person. Years ago, I served on a board. I wasn't the lead pastor, but I served on a board, and we were having conversations of who future elders could be. And there was this one person in church in particular during this season that was just, uh, just, just real extra grace needed. Uh, they had a, a major temper, a, a major anger issue. Uh, they would get mad at the silliest things, Right? Uh, they, get, they would get mad at just about really, really trivial things. Like we printed bulletins back then. They didn't like the picture in the bulletin, okay? So they're mad, all right? So one of the ideas of one of the elders at the time, they said, I have an idea. Why don't we make this guy an elder? Because maybe that will make him happy, right? And I said, wait, let's look at the qualifications here. What, what's going to happen is you're just going to import the anger into the church decision-making process. Bad idea. Well, before they could even ask him, he got mad about something and left the church. So anyway, but you can't be hot-tempered. Next thing is excessive drinker. The word in the Greek means to be alongside of wine or to be in the presence of wine for a long time. Uh, We see in Scripture uh, elsewhere that, uh, that we are to avoid being drunks that's, that's the opposite of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and most of all, uh, elders are not to be in this camp. Uh, in, in Bible times, the wine was often diluted, uh, which means to get drunk, you really had to try hard at it. And so that really gives credence to the Greek word here, those who linger long over it, those who, those who have a, a, a lifestyle, those who, who get drunk. To be drunk and being an elder, it's, 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 it should not happen. 
be a bully. Another way of putting this is to be unreasonable. To be unreasonable to, to insist on, uh, on one's way in, in personal life. This doesn't mean, by the way, it's a bully to protect the church from dangerous doctrines or divisive people who seek to harm the church. That's not being a bully, that's being firm. Those who are above reproach are not greedy for money. This is a person who uh, gets money dishonestly uh, in their everyday life. Uh, dishonestly, it could be through gambling. It could be through uh, shady side hustles. They're to be hospitable. That means their living space should be open. Uh, they, in fact, a number of our elders, we, we host uh, city groups in our homes. Hospitality is key. Uh, it, we don't hold to our stuff. We hold it loosely. Uh, we hold our personal time loosely. We, we serve and give our, our, our time into the church. We're to love what is good. I mean, that seems self-explanatory, but literally we need to say this today. Elders need to love what God loves and not celebrate what God hates. We need to be sensible. That means that we need to think mind before emotion. Uh, they need to be righteous. This is a person that makes decisions or responds to situations, not out of favoritism or emotion or even out of weakness to, uh, to, to someone who may be strong-willed, but they do it out of justice. They are to be holy. That means they need to have a general hunger to live out their faith. And yes, that means read the word and spend time in prayer. Uh, it's amazing. There are boards all across the country. As I've worked with different boards and churches across the country, there are prayerless elder boards and elder boards that aren't reading their Bible. And they, these are boards that have descended into treating a church like there's some kind of CEOs or some kind of, of business board. It's not what an elder board is. To be above reproach means that you're self-controlled, that you don't act right just when people are looking, but what they see is what they get. They need to be faithful to the word, which in 1 Timothy says they need to be able to teach. Uh, our elders need to be able to teach, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, in a class, or maybe even up here. And by the way, in a couple weeks' time, when we end this three-week series, uh, we're going to have one of our elders come up and speak on that one. Isn't that cool? Oh, yeah. And they should not be a recent convert lest they get puffed up. Potential elders are vetted through a process uh, by the board that can take upwards to a year before they're onboarded. And the one thing that I love about our board, when you read through that whole list, it's not like, yep, I got it, right? Like, if you read through that list, you'd be like, man, that's a tall order. And that's exactly what they do. I'm like, oh, I, I don't even know if, I mean, and here's the point. It's not that you're perfect. The point is, are these problems? Are these problems? You actually have a problem in these areas. Now, here's some practical considerations for elders. Some churches are not led by elders, but they're led by committees or boards, uh, or they vote on everything by the congregation like it's some kind of house of representatives. I remember I've been part of churches, maybe even part of churches where it's more congregationally ran, and I've seen fights over people trying to buy, trying to buy banquet tables, right? They wanted to buy $75 of the banquet tables. It was a four-hour meeting, right? No thank you, right? But some places, that they run that way. Everyone wants their say. They want church everything down to the picture and the bulletin to be a democracy but listen when you look in scripture when people want to run things by democracy or by consensus it doesn't really work out that well all right hello golden calf right but with that said the elders are not some kind of ivory tower people they consider feedback they want to be people of the church and they are elders push leadership down so people can make decisions on the ground and they are accessible, and they serve among you. I once asked my elders, uh, the elder board, and they're not mine, we are together, right? We are a plurality of elders. But I once asked the, the elders, I said, hey, 
what do you see yourself as? And one of them said, we're servants. And that's exactly it. It's exactly what Paul said, a servant of the Lord. And today, you'll find your elders serving amongst you in this church. I think of Dan, who's on our host team. He'll be serving out in the lobby, second service. I think of John, who's up here singing each and every week, and he's out there having conversations with people each and every week. I think of Joe, who is with our kids each and every week. And I think of Nathan, who's at our guest services table. I think of them as they lead city groups, uh, as they, as they lead, help lead men's ministry. They are with the people. You know what shepherds need to be like? They need to smell like the sheep. And guess what? Our elders smell like the sheep. The church is entrusted with the elders to lead the congregation, verse 9, so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. They are to be available to the congregation for any spiritual need, not gossip, but spiritual need, serving the congregation, praying with the congregation, teaching the congregation, and protecting the well-being of the congregation, fostering unity amongst the congregation, and sharing the vision with the congregation. The elders do not have a constituency. Not one elder represents a certain amount of people. Uh, we, are, we act as one. We're a plurality, as we see in Scripture. There's not just one elder here or an elder that represents like a, like a senator. No, they are all one uh, elder board. The elders are not a one-man boss uh, they, unless they have been tasked with a certain issue or team for a season. I knew a church once where the elders... Uh, treated themselves like, as a constituency, as a one-man boss. They walked around, I'm an elder, which means what? I'm in charge, right? And I this was so funny, uh, but I was in this church, and I literally watched the, uh, a dueling elders happen during worship, right? One elder thought the worship was too quiet. So what did he do? He walked right back to the sound team, and he said, turn it up. And they said, why? I'm an elder. And he went back and sat down. There was another elder who thought the music was too loud. He went back to the soundboard and he said, turn it down. And they said, uh, but we just turned it up. I know, I'm telling you, you turn it down. Why? Because I'm an elder. Man, talk about being on the sound team that day. Their heads would just spin in. The problem is, elders don't do that, right? You wonder why they don't do that? Because they aren't the elder board. They're an elder that represents the eldership, right? And if there's an issue, guess what? We trust the people that are leading the ministry. And if we need to talk to them or they need to talk to us later, we'll figure it out then, right? We don't lord around like, I'm an elder. Do that, right? No, not at all. We want to push ministry down to the ground so that we have that literally we, we entrust our pastors, we entrust our, our team leads, we entrust our volunteers to see the ministry go. We don't want just a handful of people doing the work. We want to see hundreds of people doing the work of the ministry so that Jesus Christ is known exponentially. Amen? Elders don't do all the work. They empower others to share in ministry. At Kenosha City Church, we believe in the ownership of ministries. But I'd say the most important aspect of the elders is maintaining the unity of the church toward the gospel. Which means they're always keeping each other in this church biblically accountable. We will not abandon God's word or the gospel. Ever. We will not go woke with cultural understandings of scripture. Ever. The elders will foster unity to the mission of Jesus Christ. Always. Paul was insistent with Titus because he knew that the church must have elders working together as a plurality of elders to protect the mission and protect the doctrines of the faith or the church would be eaten alive by the culture that would envelop them. 
and he knew this. He knew that as, as leaders, they were sitting ducks. But the church needed to stick to the word of the gospel so that the Crete and so that Kenosha can be transformed. And this leads us to our last point, which we're actually going to land on and pick up next week. It's this. The reason why we need to have leadership protecting and empowering uh, God's truth is the church will always be attacked. It will always be under attack if it's a church of the gospel. Titus 1.10. For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by the teaching, but they shouldn't in order to get money and dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Christians are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. The reason why we must protect the gospel, the reason why we must have foundations of elders and, and, and ministry that's, that's unleashed throughout this church is because I want you to know a church that takes serious the gospel will always be under attack. So next week as we pick this up, we're going to talk about where the attack comes from. The attack comes from within. People come within to disrupt. Secondly, the attack comes out there. And third, the attack comes within our own hearts when we drift from the mission. We're going to look at the, the uh, characteristics of what happens in a church when that looks, what that looks like as we go through in the end uh, Titus chapter 1 and go into Titus chapter 2. It's going to be a doozy. It's going to be an absolute doozy. But as we land, I want you to know this. Whose church is this? Whose church is Kenosha City Church? It's not mine. It's not the elders. It's not the staff's. It's not yours. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all of his. It's all about Jesus, and we get to be part of it. Isn't that amazing? It's all about Jesus. So who are we? We are the church entrusted with the mission, entrusted with the vision are personally connecting people to the power of Jesus Christ, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when people meet Jesus, people's lives are made new. <clears throat> so here's some application for this week. Are you on mission? Are you taking ownership with where you serve? I had lived that, said help Will out. And I was like, oh man, I wasn't gonna say that. I, I, it, just, whoop, it just came out. Like, look, if you're not serving somewhere and you call Kenosha City Church your home, it's time to serve. It's time to see this city one through Jesus Christ. God has grown this place and we are excited what he's doing in this place. It may be where you're like, I'm just kind of serving easy somewhere. I want to jump into a challenge. Maybe God will shift you somewhere in this church where you're serving. Are you taking ownership where you serve? It's not like I have to do this. You have given the opportunity to be part of God's church, to move it forward. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You have, kingdom, you, have, you have kingdom momentum moving through you. Number three, are the rebellious voices in your life? That's what we're going to talk even more about next week. We live in a society that loves rebellion. And don't think it's just seculars. We live in a very, very divided world. And it's hit Christendom, where people want to fight over things that aren't gospel things. 
and we wonder why the number of born-again believers is shrinking. But guess what? We might, not be, we might not be able to control what other people can do, but we can be responsible as Kenosha City Church of what we will do. And that is, we will advance the gospel because life is too short and the stakes are too high to know what we know and do nothing. So Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you so much for who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you that we, you have given us your, what you call your bride, the church, to be your people, to be your hands and feet, to share the gospel. So God, will, will you place that in our heart this week? Place people in our life that we can share Jesus with. Place people in our lives that we can invite people to church to sit with us here next week. But God, it's not about filling a room. It's about seeing lives transformed. God, we desperately want to see that. We want to see you magnified. And Lord, thank you for Kenosha City Church. God, we, we're, we stand available and ready. Use us to be the, the people to see lives changed in this city. As we continue to pray, if there's somebody in here today, you might not know Christ. Uh, maybe uh, you have... Maybe you just feel so distant from God today, and maybe that's because you are. Maybe you've never placed your faith and trust in him alone. Maybe you've wandered from him. Let me just ask you this as we continue to pray. If you are to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ right now, would you have absolute certainty you have a relationship with him, that you're going to heaven? If the answer is no, you can know today that you can be saved by him and be made right by God. Do you want to know? Let me, let me tell you how. Receive Jesus right now. Jesus Christ wants to save you from your sins. He's already done it. He wants you to receive what he's already done. See, this is what he did. He created you. He created you. You're not an accident. He created you to know him but you are separated from him by your sins, by your actions. And there's nothing you can do, no religion that you can find that will get you to God all by yourself. You need help. And so God provided the help that you or nobody else could give you by sending Jesus, fully God and fully man. He came 2,000 years ago to die on the cross to pay for every single one of your wrongs, every single one of your sins, past, present, and future. He died on the cross to save you from your sins. But because Jesus was perfect, when he died, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later, and he's coming back. And this is your response. It is to place your full faith and trust in him alone. Confess with your mouth right now that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart right now that God rose him from the dead. Bible says you'll be saved. With every, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, if today... You realize, that's me. I need Jesus. Today, I want to receive him as Savior. We just let me know? Let, will you let me know that you're placing your faith and trust in Jesus right now by just looking up at me? Just look up at me. Give me eye contact if you're placing your faith and trust in Jesus today. I'd love to see. Awesome. Anybody else? Just make eye contact with me today if that's, if that's you. Like, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm placing my faith and trust in Christ 
alone. Anybody else? Awesome. Anybody else? Lord Jesus, thank you for those today that are saying yes to you. Lord God, I just pray uh, for those that are wanting to be made right with you. I pray they know that it is through faith alone, through grace alone, that they would know that there's nothing that they can do. It's only what you did on the cross and that you're alive. And it's only by placing their full faith and trust in you alone that they're saved. Thank you for those today that are acknowledging they need you. Lord, be with the church today. Help us not to drift from mission. Help us take ownership of where we serve. And God, help us rid of rebellious voices, whether it's in the office, whether it's secular, whether it's, it could even be Christian voices. God, I just pray that we would be obedient to your word. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.